0: Join me for a conversation with fellow world schooling parent Jessica Suero of world Towning. After about eight years of experience roaming the globe with our respective families, Jessica and I compare notes on educating our young global citizens via travel and creating community and local friends all along the way. We talk about what it's like to raise multilingual, third-culture kids, and we reflect on the impacts of this lifestyle so far on our own kids' development, outlook, and college prospects. Welcome to the Taranga Tribune, where the Senegalese concept of welcoming all people with openness and generosity guides our exploration of the world. I am Micah Wright-Sinclair, world traveler, digital nomad, development worker, and world schooling parent of three young global citizens. Taranga Tribune Travel Talks bring the world to you so that you can enrich your perspective, appreciation, and engagement of our common humanity all around the globe. Today, my guest to compare notes on raising traveling third culture kids is world schooling superstar, Jessica Suero. Jessica is a veteran world schooling mom of two amazing global citizens, and she's the enterprising co-founder of World Towning. World Towning is an inspired family run travel company that focuses on helping other families who are seeking authentic and immersive experiences around the world. If you've been interested in world schooling and family adventure travel for even a few days, you've probably run across Jessica and Will Suero and their family's beautifully shot day in the life videos on their World Towning YouTube channel, among other places. Welcome, Jessica.
1: Oh, wow, that was quite an introduction. I don't know about Superstar, but <laughs> you are I do think I. Have, Come on. <laughs> I do think my uh, my uh, superhero power is is definitely something in the travel sphere. um so i'll take I'll take that. I guess. yeah, thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Micah. Well, tell us where are you right now, Jessica? What's around you? Okay. So, uh, wow, what around me right now is I'm completely surrounded by water because I live on a boat. I can see two or three small islands um, where uh, the local Kuna indigenous culture live. And I'm in the remote Blas islands off Panama on the Caribbean coast.
0: Well, let's jump right in, Jessica, and let's dial back to about, I think it was more than seven years ago since you and I met in Quito in Ecuador. And both of our families had been traveling full-time and world-schooling for a while. You and Will, your husband, and your two children, who I think were 8 and 12 then? Yeah, probably. And then my husband and I, with our three kids that must have been 3, 7, and 9 or so. So we all met. We had similar origin stories, if you will, at the happy American family living the dream of middle-class suburban life. Exactly. <laughs> So great friends, schools and communities in in our respective places in the U.S. And each of our families separately decided to suddenly up and sell everything and hit the road. So I wanted to start by asking you to share what it is that spurred your family
1: to take that leap. Oh, boy. Okay, so. We were we were exactly like you. We were happy, and I think it's really important to mention that, that we were very happy in our lifestyle, Uh, loved our friends, our community, the kids' schools, every bit of it. So we didn't leave because we were unhappy, and I think if we had, you know, unhappiness follows you around, so it would have kind of come with us. So that's definitely not – you don't want to leave when you have something that's making you unhappy and you're trying to escape it. So no complaints at all. Loved our life. But at the end of the day, the three things that kind of really – or our driving force of why we wanted to live this lifestyle was that we wanted more time with our children. Um, Mm -hmm. At that time, our eldest was halfway done her time in our home. So we wanted more time with the kids. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to learn about the world and have an education out in the world with its people, in, in communities. Mm-hmm. And although reading books is wonderful, and I'm a huge, huge um, fan of reading books to learn about other countries, having friends and sharing meals and immersing in different cultural traditions with people around the world is an education that we knew we wanted and we knew was in line with our family goals. Yeah. And then the third reason was that we wanted to, we wanted to create memories over buying stuff. Uh, that was really, really important with us. At the end, when, at the end of our life, we have the memories. The stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. And because so, if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, "Well, I can't travel, but I really want those three things too," okay. all three of those you can get in a stationary life in your home country. Um, it's just a little more difficult. You know, you have a lot of pressures from um, community, family, the kids' peers to kind of buy stuff and be current. Um, it's not always easy to find an international community when you're working full time and your kids have activities going on. It's not so easy to just go, I'm going to go make some friends in this different part of my town and we can have cultural immersion. Yeah. And bonding as a family, we know, the at least with the American lifestyle, I can speak about that. Everyone's going in their different direction and there's so much going on and, you know, you're ships passing in the night. So obviously if you're listening to this and you think I want this, it can be done. I I don't want to discourage anyone that you have to travel to kind of have these three things or whatever your goals are Mm -hmm. um, regarding, you know, international experience with your kids, but it's more difficult. Okay. So
0: more time with your kids, education out in the world, that immersive experience in different cultures and places and experiences over stuff.
1: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I do want to add just a little caveat there, mm-hmm. because although Will agreed, my partner, with all of this as well, and he was completely on board, the thing that really sent him over the edge was with when our daughter was in, I think it was fourth grade, um, and he started to see a lot of groupthink, a lot of peer pressure, a lot of bullying, and he really wanted our children to be able to grow up authentically as themselves without all these outside pressures in the eight years we've been traveling that has become so much more prominent Um, depressions up suicides up and it's a lot of it has to do with these all these pressures that these kids are feeling from community peers social media so I think it's an important kind of little
0: yeah asterisk to add in there for sure really important So in our case, kind of similar to you, we really wanted our kids to have experiences out in the world. And I work in the field of international development and microfinance. So I collaborate with people in Africa, Asia, and Latin America to develop products and services that enable people there to overcome poverty and to achieve their dreams and goals. And so I would spend a week or two, almost every month, um, out in a developing country and then come home to our suburban California life. And mm-hmm. I just had this really intense feeling of being out of step with my kids who were, you know, we were, were middle class, but they were privileged, um, sup- uh, especially compared to the other places where I was spending time. Right. And my husband and I both work remotely anyway. So at a certain point, we decided that what we most like to do is take our kids out on the road and educate them by showing them how other p- people live around the world. Kind of like you, again, um, we decided that we would take off for a year and we would start in Costa Rica and just kind of see where it took us. So we sold out everything and packed up some a little bit of stuff in a storage unit and headed out to Costa Rica. And after three months in Costa Rica, we had to do a border run to Nicaragua. And we loved it so much, we stayed for three months. So after three months there, we had to do another border run. And somewhere along the line, uh, we met you guys during our first year of full-time world schooling travels. And... Um, We we ran into you in Ecuador. So before we talk about that meeting, tell us where your family's adventures have taken you since then. Just to kind of give everyone a a sense of the arc of your travels over these years.
1: Yeah, first I want to say I love the work you do, Micah, and I think it's so so important in the world. And that I think that that extreme that you had between the life you were living when you were not with your kids and going back to it, it, it must have been so interesting and so thought provoking and, and kind of, <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. jarring and not everyone gets to have that perspective. So in a way you, you were very lucky, but you were also very, I'm sure that there was a lot of this inner turmoil of, I want my kids to see this and, but do I, str- do I pull them away from what they know and what they seem to be happy in? And right. we had a lot of that too. And I just, I just want to touch on that for a minute. Cause I yeah. think the work you do is really, really important. And I know it's not necessarily in line with what we're discussing today, but it needs to be noted because I think that had, that's had a tremendous, tremendous impact on how you've navigated your life with the kids, how you've educated them, and they benefit from it tremendously, as well as the people that you're out engaging with and helping out in the world. So Uh, well, thank um, you. Thank you. Okay, so our story. Um, we originally told everyone we were going to go to Costa Rica for a year and have this experience and come back. Um, A very select few knew that we were planning for this to be a long-term lifestyle change. So we sold everything. We put a small amount of stuff in storage. The idea was to move to Costa Rica for a year and immerse ourselves into the local culture and live there. And that's exactly what we did. We did 12 months in Costa Rica. Uh, The first, I don't know, 11 and a half really sucked. Um, no, no, I'm not that the first 11 and a half, but the first five or six were really tough and it was nothing that had to do with Costa Rica. It was just transitioning our entire life and the way we knew life to be in our early 40s to something completely, completely different. So after a year in Costa Rica, we spent... Um, Ten months in Ecuador, in Quito, Ecuador, and then after that, we and we uh, we went to France and we lived in France for nine months in the south of France. And so we had this great thing going on. We would live in a country from nine to twelve months. We would negotiate with it long-term Airbnb. We'd negotiate the price down, mm-hmm. and we would. For the first, for those first three years, our son, we required him to be in a a French school. So he's in a French and Spanish school in Costa Rica, a French and Spanish school in Ecuador, and a French school in the south of France, Mm -hmm. because we wanted to be able to maintain his French language and Will and I don't speak French or we don't speak it. Well, put it that (laughs) way. And we were convinced that if we kept him in this kind of structured learning environment with language immersion, at least till he was 10, we would be able to maintain it. And we can talk about that later because I definitely want to talk about language Uh learning, you know, when we're getting deeper into the third culture kid chats, but it did work. So after those three years of kind of understanding how to do this groove, you know, we, this is how we do it. This is how we negotiate. This is our kids are in school. Our daughter was homeschooled at the time. We decided to make all the kids' dreams come true, which is what every kid wants to do and is every parent's complete nightmare is go and live in an RV. So <laughs> we, we bought an RV in France. And, and it was true, right? right? I was no, so resistant to it. That's interesting I was so, because
0: whenever you talk about it, I'm thinking, oh my God, I could
1: never do that. But right? you, you had an amazing time. We did. And you know what? You adjust. Yeah. Um, you just adjust. And so we spent mm-hmm. just under three years traveling around Europe in the RV and That's we incredible. set a goal for ourselves when we started because we love goals. Mm-hmm. We decided we will visit every country in Europe and a couple of them we had to fly to. That. But In general, we hit every country in Europe, and it was just such a magical experience. So after the RV, we sold it. We went back to the south of France for a month where we used to live and hung out with friends and kind of regrouped and prepared for what we thought was the next stage, which was we were going to spend a year in Asia, and each individual in the family got to pick three countries they wanted to spend their their month in and we would pick one spot in that country and they would be responsible for doing the research figure out where we were going to stay um c- c- adhering to a budget um just as a side note we operate as a democracy not a dictatorship and so yeah. that has always been our our way of living like this and it has worked out very well you know obviously early on when we we first left the kids wanted to rv and we're like no we have to figure out our budget you know all kinds of Mm -hmm. other logistics we have to see if we can actually do this travel thing before we make such a huge investment but as they've aged we have like kind of loosened the reins and given them more opportunity to be in charge and i think that is a huge part of our success out here it's not just what we want
0: what a great education for the kids It's worked out. I mean, you get into really nuts and bolts stuff like putting them in charge of of parts of the budget.
1: We were heading to Asia. Um, We had all of our 12 countries. We had, I don't know, three to five months of flights and Airbnbs and everything already booked. And we landed in Japan and then we never left. So we got locked down in Japan for five months, which made the kids particularly happy because they actually wanted to use they're all there three months, both of them, for six months in Japan. And we said, no, it has to be different countries. So <laughs> they love Japan. And we just had a really, Japan was another one of those pockets of just a really magical time. We had a really unique living situation, which was quite affordable. We had a co-working, co-living space. We had a mountain for hiking behind us. We were living with the local community. We made friends that were that were born and raised in Japan, which is really fabulous. Um, and then after five months, we, you know, the world was still not open. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to kind of pivot, which is, which is a huge part of this lifestyle. Right. And it's, it's, it's not as easy to pivot when you're a family, as opposed to if you're an individual traveling or if you're traveling with a partner. So we had to sit down, you know, and do our democracy thing again and say, okay, what does everyone want to do? And, um, mm-hmm. our daughter, a- Avalon, who's now 18 said, I think whatever we do, we cannot go someplace where we're going to be locked down in an apartment because that isn't going to work well for us and our mental state and our way of living, Mm -hmm. how we've been living for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. So we did not even consider going back to the United States because that's the scenario it would have been. And instead, um, Abilene mentioned we need a project. And Will and I had been wanting to buy a ruin in France and remodel it with them. We had done um, some real estate remodeling and investing and selling and all that kind of stuff uh, before our travel years. And we thought it'd be really fun to show them how to do that. So we mm-hmm. headed back to France. We rented a cute little houseboat on a river and said, OK, we're going to buy one. You know, I'm like you, Michael, like I, I had those house appointments like yeah. ready to go. Like We got there and the next weekend we were renting a car and going to look at houses. And so then we were, you know, we were pretty, we were down to this one house and like, should we do it? Should we not? And across my Facebook feed comes this boat for sale. It had always been kind of a goal of the families to. Yes. to yes. You
0: were kind of striving. Eventually you thought it would be nice to sail around the world.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the idea was that the kids, at least our oldest, would get maybe a year on the boat. Our youngest would get like three or four. And then once they went off to university, Will and I would continue living on the boat and going around the world. Perfect. Um, We thought that that would fit our travel desire. We thought it would fit our adventure desire. And we just thought it would be a great way of living. And so we rented a car, middle of COVID, drove from the north of France down to the south. We saw the boat. It was perfect. (laughs) So we said, wow, should we buy the boat? It's the first boat we've looked at. Is that crazy to buy the first (laughs) boat you looked at? Also, you don't know how to sail. Let's also we don't, yeah, yeah, right. we don't to sail So we bought the boat. We moved on the boat in August. We had no sailing experience. We were gonna take sailing lessons in October. In the a week before our sailing lessons, France locked down. I mean the world locked down, but France locked down and we were on the boat, I don't know, four or five months, locked down in a marina in the freezing cold of France. And then in January, in the med, in the freezing cold, we took our sailing lessons, learned to sail, and then we sailed around the med for a year and one year, almost to the date of our sailing lessons, we crossed the Atlantic Ocean for and landed yeah. in Martinique in the Caribbean. So, exactly. and we, we've, been, we've been kind of tooling around the Caribbean, the Southern Caribbean, Colombia, and now we're in Panama um, for a year. We just passed our one year anniversary of crossing the Atlantic. And so that's kind of a, our story of from when we started to now.
0: So after this amazing worldwide travel of all manners, Avalon is now in college, right? She jumped yes. ship um, she last, did. last summer and headed to college yeah. in the
1: U.S., yeah. So I won't cry because we still miss Aww. her so much. Um, here's the thing that I want to tell tell everyone. Guess what, guys? This world schooling thing, it worked. Mm-hmm. What worked was that we world schooled her. And she learned so much about the world mm-hmm. that she was able to spread her wings and go off and survive in the world without us and able to integrate and understand different ways of living and thinking and behaving and different emotions and different politics um in her own life. Yeah. And that was that was the goal. Mm-hmm. Our goal was for them to grow up authentically, to love learning, to appreciate and understand the world and be a good human as they spend their life passing through the world. Yeah, I did write a very lengthy um, piece mm-hmm. on the whole process and what Avalon did and how she was able to get her APs and how she was able to take her ACTs and kind of all the bumps along the way. And it's, it's you can go to our worldtowning.com website there. You can sign up for our newsletter. It's also on Substack. You can mm-hmm. Google uh, search World Towning. If anyone wants any information on it, obviously they, you guys can reach out to me too. That's I'm super more beautiful. than willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, really so beautiful. she's launched, Micah. And that. yeah, I mean, it's so weird now. Or family of three on the boat. It's so
0: encouraging and inspiring to hear that full story and to know that she's able to pursue what she wanted. Because I know one of the major concerns of people who are considering doing this sort of lifestyle with their kids is the schooling, obviously. And it's really the first question I think we were asked when we were out on the road full time, and that is, how do you school your kids? How do you educate your kids? And I had done a lot of research before we made the leap, and I was so happy to read the accounts of some parents who said, I've had my kids out of school for three, four years, and then we moved back and put them back in school, and there was no issue. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to signal that in our case also, I mean, I pulled out our our kids were in, I think, just finished third grade, second or third grade and just finished kindergarten and then a toddler uh, who had never been to school when we left and they weren't in real formal school for over five years. So they were world schooled. We put them in alternative schools like in India, not so much for academics as for the culture. And yeah, um, love that. So after five years of being out of school, they wanted to try out school in France. And um, they all entered at or above grade level. And that was without any formal schooling. Right? So isn't that amazing?
1: You know, We work with people on the travel logistics as consultants, as one of the aspects of our business. Uh And when we work with people that want to go for a year or two, they're always paranoid about the school and keeping their kids up to speed. And my number one recommendation is don't do it. Enjoy this year. I have yet to hear of one, not even one experience. I'm sure they exist, but not one experience where someone left for a year or two and they came back and their kid was behind. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're a little behind in like a little bit of math and they can be caught up in a month or two, but it just doesn't happen because what they learn out in the world contributes to all of this. I mean, I
0: felt like they were, the things they were going to learn were maybe going to be different than what they would learn in school, but every bit is as important, if not more so. And I also felt like in terms of our relationships, my relationship with the kids, my relationship with my husband, all of us as a family, we needed that, that exposure to other perspectives and lifestyles.
1: It was the same exact for us. Like I feel, I guess that's why I feel such a deep connection to you and your family. I love you guys, um, but I also feel this deep connection to your style Mutual. of schooling. And even though we're schooling a little different now, mm-hmm. we're both. I still consider it world schooling. I mean, you're in a foreign country. Your kids are in an international school. They're still world schooling. Yeah. Um, long ago, our son is in a little more structured learning environment. Even though he's not in a brick and mortar, he has certain classes and he's in a dual enrollment program. Um, and we're still, we're still world school. Schooling as well, and kind of to piggyback off, you know, your kids four or five years without you know formal education, they just went in seamlessly into their grade. Largo did not have English class. He started a, a kindergarten in the United States in a French immersion 100, international school of French, one hundred percent French, and he never took had English again until he was, I think, it was when we started in the RV. So I mean, he mm-hmm. was ten mm-hmm. um, after like four years of French and Spanish schools. Will and I looked at each other and we said, oh, my gosh, (laughs) Marcos has never had English. Yeah. And we thought, oh, we better get him up to speed because after this year at French and the French school, he's going to be in the RV and he needs to do English and he needs to learn grammar and all this stuff. I mean, he obviously spoke English. Um, And so we hired a tutor to come to our house Fridays in France, an English speaking tutor for I think it was an hour, hour and a half for several months every Friday. And that's it. She brought him up to speed. He we we just did like a little like mm-hmm. mini like where should he be at this grade level like a vo- verbal test with him Will and I. Yeah. He was fine. Like the thing is they just if if they if they're not up to speed, you can catch them up so quick cuz yeah. they have all these other ways they've learned how they've been learning and their brain just soaks it up and was like, "Okay, I'm going to get there."
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it's not 100% them. Uh, there is some help and and right. encouragement from parents and I did enroll, for example, I enrolled Our child, before he went into middle school, after being out of school for five years, our eldest, I enrolled in an online English writing course. Right, so right. What right. you're saying because I just wanted to make sure he knew how to structure paragraphs and how right, right. what he was expected to do when he was in school. This is a period. <laughs> so, but it came really easily. But you alluded to this kinship that we feel you and I in talking about this and how many things we have in common even if our approach to world schooling has been slightly different, but there's also this kinship between and among our kids that I just love. And that kind of brings me to one of the themes that I wanted to talk about, which is this concept of third culture kids. Yes. And so let me just pause for a moment and explain what I mean by that. I I went and looked it up because I wanted to be sure that I could define it for listeners who might not have come across this term. And the BBC explains it as citizens of everywhere and nowhere. Um, And it's a concept that really appeared in the 1950s, which surprised me that it came about so, so early. Um, There was an anthropologist and sociologist named Ruth Usim, who coined the term third culture kids, referring to kids who grew up in countries or cultures that don't belong to either of the parents. So at the time, that would have been largely, I suppose, kids of military families or missionaries. But today in our global economy, it can mean often kids of immigrants or of business people who move around globally for work, or increasingly kids of digital nomads, digital nomadic families like like ours are. Um, when we first met, even though you had been on the road two years and we had been on the road almost a year, our kids had met people of all walks of life and interacted in in different languages and cultures and had f- local friends in Latin America, in the various countries they had been in. But when we got together, there was immediately this magnetic attraction I think between them as friends because they weren't only it wasn't just because they were American there was something else
1: yes there absolutely was and I've been thinking a lot about this because you know I knew we were going to be chatting and our kids had very little exposure to Americans in those two years Mm -hmm. um to other people, not necessarily just Americans, but other people living how we were living, because the whole premise of why and how we were doing this um, was that we wanted to immerse in the local cultures. So yeah. have friends yeah. that lived in these communities. And so they didn't we didn't meet other travelers. And it wasn't like it is now where social media and you see, kind of all these digital nomad hubs popping yes. up, and this one month intense stay with other people of your culture who are doing this—you um, know, of the same income, of the same desire, all that kind of stuff. It was—it was very different. And and to be quite honest, that wasn't our premise. We were not looking to connect with an abundance of other people doing what we were doing yeah. because. The, the idea was to learn about the world in the world. And if we wanted to learn from people that were just like us, we would have stayed home. Um, and I don't mean to sound so harsh about it, but I'm getting right. to, I'm getting to the good part, right? So our kind of encounter with you guys was, I think, Besides one other American fam- family at the S- French and Spanish school in Costa Rica, um, we hadn't had any engagement with anyone else who even thought this was a good idea to live out in the world and educate. There were, Facebook, people use Facebook then. And you could see people kind of commenting, but it wasn't like it is now, not even close. Yeah. And so we got together and I just felt like this such, such as connection and our kids felt such a connection because- we, our goal was to immerse in the cultures and make local friends. And we, we, we neglected kind of even thinking about, it's not that we were anti, we just didn't really think about it because we had a different goal, That there was this other whole angle of people that we could meet out here who had a very similar goal in learning and educating and meeting and immersing into the local cultures, but also that would bring great joy and warmth to this lifestyle because it can get very lonely out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are a foreigner in these cultures and no matter how close you are and how many friends you make, there's still a part of you that longs for A connection to someone who understands what you're doing because when you when you are immersed into these communities, you're going to get half the people you meet that are going to be like, "Wow, this is really interesting and cool," and you're so lucky. And there's going to be other half who are like, "You're freaking crazy, you're (laughs) you're you're, you're nuts," you know. So when we met you, it really opened my eyes to there's a whole other community out there Mm -hmm. of people that we're not meeting. And even though they're not living a stationary life and they're not native to the countries we're in, they bring such value to our life. And our kids felt a connection to your kids, and I thought it was so. Cute that they all spoke French because we never met any anyone that that spoke French, and they had this like cute little secret thing between them. And I thought, my goodness, this is really really interesting. It's so nice and precious for our kids to have the opportunity to
0: reflect with others who have that same experience of living in these places, building friendships, grappling with the culture shock, yeah, and the differences, and can talk with someone who relates to that. Because although ours still maintain really good relationships with their cousins and some of their friends back in the United States, it's not the same.
1: As, yeah, it's uh, not. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is that, there is that kinship. I mean, they're not in the same country. Um, they're in different stages of their life, you know, everything. But there, mm-hmm. there's that third culture kid connection. Yeah. And it's fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's, it's really completely fascinating.
0: fascinating. And just maybe to update on our story, we stayed in a very rural community in France for three years, continuing to world school. And then we moved to Strasbourg a couple of years ago. So we're living in a multicultural city in France. And our kids now go to French public schools with international sections. So these are kind of like, public magnet schools that attract kids from all over the world who speak French and another language. Um, And so in the case of our kids, they're in the English section of their schools. And so they go to school most of the day with a mixed group of people from all over the world speaking French and doing their classes in French. And then a couple hours a day, maybe five hours a week, they are in their language section, so they study history and literature and a, a couple other things in geography, maybe in their own language. In this case, English. Mm-hmm. And so our kids are really thriving in this environment because they do have local friends. They've got friends who are who were born and raised in Strasbourg who are French. Um, they but they also have connections with people from all over the world who have this third culture kid sensibility and i i love watching how isaac for example looks at the world and I, I'm guessing that Avalon has a s- similar experience now being back in the U.S. in a school where he really takes this step back and and applies an anthropological or sociological lens to yes. look at how people behave, what the interactions are between the yeah. students yeah. and between the students and the professors, and really just how everyone is influenced by where they've been and and how they've been raised. And he really has this sort of external lens on that and comes home talking about it from a philosophical standpoint. And I I find that really interesting.
1: I think you just said that so, so perfectly. That's in my head, but I don't think I could have articulated it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree. They look at things differently and they look at them In a deeper way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think it also reflects a a maturity, a kind of maturity. So this is not to say that my kids are overly mature. (laughs) But, um, you know, in some ways, I think that there's a maturity that they have beyond their years. Um, maybe partly because of coming face to face with the realities of life, um, on the road and traveling and being immersed in these different places. And I guess I really hope that's the case because that was one of my goals in (laughs) uh, taking the kids on the road, but, you know, they had to experience at an early age, they had to experience things like, going to bed hungry because we were yep. living with a family in a village that didn't have a lot of means and they served us a lovely dinner but it wasn't what we were all used to in terms of quantities and so we were all kind of hungry and we were going to sleep under our mosquito nets and and our kids were hungry and I had to say you know this is this is normal this is how some yeah. kids have to live
1: and you're every gonna night be okay some kids go to bed like that every night yeah
0: And I know you took your kids, you've made a real point of taking your kids to some really tough places along the way. And I think that being confronted with historical events and political models and um, just the realities of life in other places has given your kids as well as ours a, a certain maturity and perspective on the world.
1: You know, it's funny when we've made the choices and I'll give some examples of the places that we've taken the kids. Um, there's always a part of me that says, am I going to be paid be for years of therapy down the line because I took them to, you know, Auschwitz and Birkenau. And there's a fine line, of course, and everyone has an opinion about it. But you have to you have to see where your kids are. Emotionally, mentally, maturity wise, mm-hmm. and the level of exposure they've had to these historical events before you make the choice to expose them to something pretty extreme. And I think every child is different. Mm-hmm. Um, for our kids, we always did a heavy immersion into documentaries, um, uh, real li- living books, which are written from the experience people had with, at, mm-hmm. in these historical events. Mm-hmm. And then we would immerse ourselves into the event experience. I believe it was, uh, what was it? It was one of, one of the, the, yeah, the camps that mm-hmm. we were bringing the kids on a tour and the recommended age was a certain age and they were below it. And I said, I, as a parent, can I authorize that they go on this tour. And the the woman behind the counter said, you need to speak with the tour guide. That's their decision to make. Mm. So I spoke with the tour guide, I explained that we had been studying the Holocaust for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up studying the Holocaust for an entire year, entire school year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and... I explained what they had learned, what they had been exposed to. And that I thought that they, that this is a significant historical event. And I thought that they should be exposed to this. And I thought they were capable. And he looked me in the eyes and I'll never forget it. He was like, every kid should see this in their life. They are more than welcome to come on my tour. So we exposed them to Auschwitz, um, Hiroshima was another yeah. one lots and lots of documentaries we read books and then we actually went there that one was not as although it was a profound event as well it was not as difficult because there was very few remains from it and the city's been built up around it so it's much more profound if you're walking on spaces where you can see things rather than oh there's a Starbucks and, and just a plaque but the museum there the museum. is museum it's intense, intense. yeah it's intense and we had to take a break partway because when we go through a museum, we go through a museum. We, we hit, I mean, it's a little different now that they're teenagers, but when they were younger, we stopped at every exhibit. We talked about it. They had the headphones if we needed them, everything. Yeah. Um, another event was D-Day. D-Day was an eight hour tour in a van going all over the place. I, you know, I could be accused of exposing my young kids to things that young (laughs) kids shouldn't see. Um, I guess one could accuse me of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I think we need to see this stuff in the world. I really, really do. And obviously they were not two years old. Um, there was always an option for them to opt out of something if they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, during the Auschwitz tour, there was a part, I don't remember. He said, now we're going to discuss this and Avalon didn't want to listen to it. So I had her wait in a separate room mm-hmm. um, But at this point in life, um, they don't seem to be traumatized from it. And they seem to have a great understanding and knowledge and level of compassion. Like you said, you know, with your kids going to bed hungry, to have even a day of exposure of that and feel what it feels like to walk in someone else's shoes can change a child and their perspective on the world.
0: One of the experiences that our kids had that I'd, I'd like to just add in here was living in South America. In the Andes, as you all did as well, spending time amongst the Inca ruins and learning about the Inca people. We spent time in Quichua villages, learned a little bit of the language and culture. And so our kids really identified with that indigenous culture in the Americas. And then a year later, we were in Spain. We spent several months in Spain. And at first, our kids, especially our eldest, really had a a negative reaction to Spain. He said, I don't want to go there because he had learned so much about Uh, Spanish colonization and he identified so much with the indigenous culture. So we had to kind of fight this um, unwillingness in him to even open his mind to Spain because of
1: colonization. Well, I think it's interesting you bring that up because um, when you grow up in one place your whole life and you have the media and you have your family and you have your communities and your peers, you tend to see one side of the story, right? Mm -hmm. You you tend to see the side that... You're exposed to, Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's that's kind of what happened to him, right? He saw the the one side, and again, I'm not saying colonization is okay, but he saw that one side of it, and then moving and seeing a different side, a different angle, and how it impacted people differently, is is really a a great tool to have as you grow Mm -hmm. as an adult to be able to evaluate situations from different angles. Yeah, you know, another one
0: uh, on a smaller scale that we had an experience with was in a country that I won't name in this case either, where our kids had a really good experience with uh, a a driver, a guy who was driving us from one side of the country to the other. And he went out into a sugarcane field and cut sugarcane stalks for them to suck on and took them around. And he was really kind, but he ended up leading us yeah. astray and we ended up in a completely different place than where we were supposed to go. And it was intentional because he was getting kickbacks from where he ended up right. us. Right. Um, and so the kids again, were exposed at very early ages to to both sides and to yeah. seeing humans in the vast majority of places that we've traveled and spent time, they've gotten to witness the amazing generosity of humans. But on occasions when you're traveling you're go- or any time in life, you're going to run across people that might not be so honest. And so they've also had to try to reconcile that.
1: Right. And not kind of not take the whole ship down because of one person. Right. You know, you go and often on vacations, people go to country of one bad experience. be Like, oh, that country is awful. Mm-hmm. Right. There are good and bad people and there are sneaky people and there are and there are compassionate people in every country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of navigating that and, and understanding to not judge an entire country by a couple of experiences is, I think, I think that's difficult for people at such a young age. Yeah, I really do because they're they're so emotionally impacted by it, especially if they see us impacted by it. Right, if they see us struggling, they kind of take on our energy with it.
0: Yeah, and that's something I think as a world schooling parent, we've had to be really careful about. You know, my Eric and I both will talk behind the scenes and say, okay, let's not, let's not put too much emphasis on this or let's, you know, let's have this discussion out in the open with the kids present so they can see us kind of grapple with it. And our, our eldest recently said, I was, so it was one of those proud mama moments. um, (laughs) And he said, you know, I've realized that when I'm feeling stressed out, When I'm out, because now he's more and more out um, in the real world by himself as a teenager, Um, he says, when I feel stressed out or afraid or there's something that's going wrong, I'm in a situation that I'm nervous about or concerned about, I realize that if I just stay calm and think through it and I kind of go back to when we were traveling, that we always could find a solution. There was always yeah. a way to overcome the challenge. There was always, even then, even though it would be stressful sometimes, there was always a way to sort it out and make it work. And he said, I rely on that. I go back to that, I think of it, and it gives me a lot of, it really bolsters me. It gives me a lot of support to know that I can I can make it okay.
1: Well, living like this is hard, right? And if you don't come together as a family or a couple and solve these problems you're screwed. (laughs) You're going to go home. I mean, you have to be able, like that's one of the defining things, skill sets you need, in my opinion, to do this. You need to be able to solve problems and roll with the punches. Yeah. And it's nice to see that that has transitioned those skill sets that he developed, uh, you know, with you guys as a family from a young age, it's nice to see that they're transitioning into the real world. Mm-hmm. Because we need that in the real world, yeah. too, right? I mean, we need to be able to solve problems. We can't just be like, oh, this happened at work, I'm going to go home and cry and not go in tomorrow. Um, you know, we have right. to solve these problems. So I, I love, I love that story. And I love those moments, those moments where it all comes together. This lifestyle and, and everything that's been put into it because you see your kids thriving early on and you're like, this is great, this is awesome. And every child is different, right? Even if there was a roadmap, oh, and a ton of people so had gone so before different. us, every, every child's different. But we didn't really know what all this would culminate to. Yeah. And you know, I still, I still have one at home, so I still don't know. He's a different child. It may impact him differently. Mm-hmm. But when you have those moments where it all comes together and you go, Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You have,
0: you have know, to know. Yeah, you have to just cherish those,
1: you know, it's solve for all of those difficult moments when And sometimes I look at those moments and I think, okay, I remember that time where I thought we couldn't go on or this was happening and that happened because of this, and now we're here, bam. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> it's come full circle. <laughs> and and I'm so happy it did because there, you know. When you live like this, and even though you're living a stationary life still, you're still living outside of your birth culture. And it it has all sets of challenges and obstacles and bureaucracy. And so when you've been living like this for seven, eight, 10, whatever years, it's not easy. And there are some really crappy times along the way there are i mean we've had we've had yes bad days yes bad weeks we've had bad months and i would go as far to say that we had a bad year as well yeah um so it's not it's not like it's not like a vacation it's yes. not all rainbows and unicorns and gorgeous yummy coffee in costa rica and whatnot mm-hmm. um clearly it's worth it because we're still doing it both of us and i can't imagine any other way of life i just love this life and i've yeah. loved I love what it's provided for my children as world schoolers um, yeah. out in the in the world and for us as a family. Let's talk about building community
0: for and with our third culture kids. I would say that if the question we get the most often is about how we educate our kids while traveling the world full time, a close second is the question about our kids' socialization. And I'm sure you get this too, how they make friends and participate in a community You all have been really successful at this. So why don't you tell us about your family's strategy and secrets for making local friends wherever
1: you are? My strategy in those first couple of years to build community once we had left Costa Rica and entered into Ecuador was to find um, people within the country who understood and appreciated what we um, how we were living and wanted to do cultural exchanges. And here's my big secret secret I'm going to give everyone. It works. It's uncomfortable, but it works if your kids in a local school have a party. So we started off by Lago's birthday was coming November 2nd. I made an invitation and told him to give it to every kid in his class. Mm-hmm. And we had a party at the ice skating rink for his birthday. And people came
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I couldn't communicate with them because I hadn't started my Spanish lessons. It was some spoke English, some didn't. Will was there, Will translated. Some people said, This is weird. And then one of my closest friends that I met, um, you know, she was like, holy, I love you guys. Like, I love what you're doing. And she said, we're going to be good friends. I know it. Aww. And to this day, we are still good friends. And from there, we held a Thanksgiving party. So, you know, I don't know, three weeks later, we held a traditional American Thanksgiving party in our apartment. And again, invited everyone from the class. We had 40 wow. people. Wow. And let me let me tell you, uh, the Ecuadorianos love to party. So we were not prepared <laughs> for this. The party started at two and it ended at 3 a.m. Oh um, we were, you know, I mean, we were, we were dragging Will and I, I mean. So it was know, a real um, cultural exchange. They got, it was a real you got a, exchange. You got an Ecuadorian party. We had a Valentine's day party and we were invited almost every weekend to some sort of, traditional event within the community with new friends, different groups of friends that we had made. Um, and that's how we did it. And And the language actually,
0: we, when we were hanging out in Ecuador, you invited us to one of those
1: events and it was so cool to meet the local friends that you had made. Right, I totally forgot about that. So here's the thing with these parties. Yes, it does cost a little bit of money. Um, it's scary. It's super scary. Are people going to come I don't know. Are they going to think these, who sends an invitation to just people they don't know? Are they going to come and judge? Yeah. Our second party, there were still people coming and judging that couldn't make the first party. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it, it, it happens. It's uncomfortable. It's exhausting. Um, your kids will be communicating in the language and you'll go, holy shit, this was worth it. This is all worth it. Everything I had to go through that got me to this point. And so we rinsed and repeated with that. Uh Um, You know, in France, same thing. We had a party right away. Now, we did have one friend that had been living in France for, I don't know, 20 years. She spoke French. She spoke English, obviously. And she came to the party as a translator because now we were in an environment where Will didn't speak the language either. We had all kinds of different parties. um, And you learn different cultural things from doing this. Not only do you pick up a piece of the language, you learn cultural things. Like I learned, Will and I were very distraught at this party in France. No one's drinking. No one's drinking. What's going on? Why aren't they drinking? (laughs) And our friend came up to us and said, you need to serve them. (laughs) (laughs) they will not go, you know, in the U S you'll go into someone's fridge and just take out a beer. Right. Right. They will not. And it's not because they're elitist and feel they need to be served. Not at all. It's It's, a respect thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But once we started going around and offering people the wine, we would go around and fill up everyone's wine. I just walked around with a bottle of red and a bottle of rosé in my hand and topped people off and you know, bada boom, bada bing. So these are cultural things that you learn by immersing in, you know, in, the country intensely even if it's uncomfortable and language is a factor and you just have to kind of get over those fears of the language and just bury it and keep going I mean I've yeah. I can't so again we created community we're invited to friend's house for dinner after that all kinds of amazing things And we got to meet new people make new friends learn about the language learn about the culture well that's such a good tip That, you know, you can't just stand by
0: and wait to be invited and hope you'll make friends, but just start inviting people over. And kids are such a good way. They're such a good in. Like you invite all of your all of the class over, and then you got to meet the parents. And I really, I think that traveling with kids, although it can be extremely challenging, and there are lots of things about it that make the travel harder, it also can make inns, it makes real inroads to the communities. And it's, absolutely, it's a great way to forge friendships
1: faster. In 99% of the countries we've been to, kids are a gateway to everything. People love children. They just love them. Yeah. They're kind to them. Even if there's extreme cultural differences within a country as, and, and to your belief system, that kids just... They lighten everything up and change everything. Yeah. I think too. I should probably, you know, close out what I was saying with. I'm an extrovert. I am sympathetic to it. Doesn't always work that way for everyone. You know, often after even a, a tiny cultural exchange, often people will need a very intense recharge time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say, you know, do what you can. Yeah, if you can't host a party, then maybe you and a couple other parents go out for a coffee or a, mm-hmm. a cocktail or something. You can do this in small doses or smaller groups or less often. Or maybe you, you have a friend who is an extrovert, you know, maybe I'm friends with you and, and and we can go together because I don't mind initiating it and getting the conversation going. And then you can jump in and kind of hold your own, like, mm-hmm. you know, partner with someone. There's all yeah, different there's a lot ways, of ways to, to do, do that. As long as you're getting the exposure to some extent, you're getting the language, you're getting the social, you're getting the community. I I think it's a really great experience. I just, I guess, I guess what I would caution people from doing, and I don't, I hate to say this, but I feel like I need to say it because of social media and a lot of people working remote, there are more people traveling now, which is fantastic. I Mm -hmm. love that. You know, that's our whole premise in our business is getting more people out here, immersing. Um, I see a lot of people gathering with their own. So people from their own country, their own language, and having these hubs and communities. And I think they're fabulous. Mm -hmm. Dip into one of these, um, learn from other people, have these experiences, then dip out, you Uh know, then dip out and go out and immerse into a culture and have that experience on your own, then dip back in when you need it. But Try not to to consistently only be in this one style that's people like from where you came from, because you're going to miss out on part of the experience. I'm so with you on that. It's not a judgment. I'm not saying you're, you know, you, you, people that do this, you're wrong and I'm right. It's just, you're recreating often what you left Yeah, and that's not really the point of it, you know?
0: Yeah. And it could be hypocritical of us to be saying it right now. It could
1: be. <laughs> Maybe. You don't have to do all or nothing. You don't have to do what, you know, what you and I did. You know, you can balance it out. Yeah, you know? I think it's a balance. And
0: it's a balance that we continually struggle to establish because everywhere we go, pretty much everywhere we've lived, we could we could be part of a, an expat community, right. a lot of same Americans here. And, and others. And we are to some extent. But at the same time, we always try hard to find whatever ends we can to the local community, because that's why we're living in a
1: different place. So Right, right, right. I think that's a perfect thing to say. So
0: we spoke a little bit about maturity earlier, and you and your whole family, Jessica, launched a business several years ago that I mentioned in the introduction, World Towning. And your kids play an important and active role in world towning in your business. So I wanted to just ask you to touch on how all of you work together to put your travel experience and perspective into practice and their their roles as third culture kids in helping with this business.
1: So when you start out traveling, one of the concerns that people, family and friends will have is how are you going to teach your kids teamwork? Um, And when we started out, I was like, I have no idea. You know, I didn't know because I had believe that the only way to teach teamwork was to be on a team sport. So That's how I had been conditioned. That's how I was raised. That's how the society that I grew up in was. Um, the best way <laughs> to form a team and learn teamwork is go travel. <laughs> um, so so I, I, these kids have, and, and, then, and then get on a boat and Why? you'll learn yeah. teamwork, right? In case they hadn't gotten the lesson. In case they hadn't paid attention. <laughs> Right. the boat up the ante. You can't cross an ocean and have people depending on the safety of their lives without being a team. And the reason I mention that, because again, that is a concern of people who are coming out traveling, you know, how are they going to learn this teamwork thing? Um, and that's just what our business is. We, we started out making YouTube videos. Incredible YouTube videos, by the way. Thank you. My husband picked up a video camera and wanted to document our journey and the kids' lives for the sake of them. Um, and then people liked it. And we thought, oh, this is cool. Um, We'll keep doing this because people like it. Um, and we like it and it's really fun. And the kids were in the videos. Um, the kids were never forced to be in the videos. It was just like home of videos. Like you want to do this? You don't. Okay. You know, they always wanted to be in them. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always had an option to not be in them. And there's been times where they say, I don't want to be filmed or I don't want to be in this video. And we, we've always honored that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, you know, we had this YouTube channel and it was creating a little bit of income by no means enough to support us. And to this day, it does not create money, enough money to support us. Not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, but it's, it has turned into, um, a marketing tool, kind of um, unconsciously for other businesses that we 've started along the way, and so we started a, a consulting business where we consult people on the logistics of full time travel visas education, medical remote working you know all this all this all this all the things mm-hmm. And then we started hosting group trips um, where people could come travel with us. And we sat down with the kids and we said, do you want to be part of this? Um, we'd like to do it, but, you know, we only do a couple of weeks a year. So if you're not interested, we could leave you with the grandparents. And when you get older, we can leave you, you know, wherever we're living in the world. And they were both like, we totally want to do this. So it part of our business that became family-oriented. Um, the, obviously, the consulting aspect of it is not, the kids aren't involved in that, unless that we have a teenager who wants to talk to another teenager uh-huh. living the life, or a parent who wants to ask the kids questions. Mm-hmm. But this part of our business, hosting the trips, became our family business. And the kids traveled with us on these trips. And the whole premise behind our business is immersing people into culture is different from their own and learning from that. The consulting part is teaching them how to go live in these cultures. And the trips part is bringing people into these cultures and learning about the cultures for a short period of time because they don't necessarily want to travel full time. Mm-hmm. And the way we travel and the reason we started hosting the trips is because people watching our channels and they said, I want to travel the way you travel and right. with you. Because we travel a little different. We immerse deeply in the cultures. Of course, we hit some tourist things. You can't help but, you know, you're not going to go to Paris and not go see the Eiffel Tower. But we make friends in countries around the globe and we often ask them, hey, this is a really great experience. Will you provide this experience if we bring someone here on a tour and we'll pay you for it? And so a lot of the, a lot of the, experiences we have are our businesses that came out of us visiting a company uh, a family and asking them to turn the experience into the business mm-hmm. uh, which has been rewarding for us because we've been able to contribute to a family growing a business in another country and we've also been able to get the people who go on our group trips a real intense local immersive experience yeah, that's great um, it's so win-win and we it is win-win, and it's a great experience for us, especially when we're in more isolated parts of the world, like on the boat, and we'll go two weeks without seeing other humans, and then we get to go on a trip with people that really are excited to do this. It's amazing. And mm-hmm. we, we named our, our business World Towning. Our premise it, in the first three years of travel, which have, we haven't been able to do as much um, on the same magnitude because we're traveling faster now, but was to immerse into cultures and communities and create hometowns around the globe, mm-hmm. hence World towning, world hometowning. Um, So we created those in the first three countries where we had what felt like a hometown in these countries that were so foreign to us. Yeah. Uh, Like, like anyone's hometown in their stationary life. Uh And so the, the, you know, the business has evolved and things have changed and we've hosted, well, at this point, I think we've had to cancel more trips than we've had to host because of, so sad, but because of, because of things happening in the world, COVID, the war in Ukraine, and now what's going on in Peru. We just had to cancel our Peru trip where we were hiking through the Andes mountains to Machu Picchu and then spending some time in Cusco, which is unfortunate, but I won't focus on that, you know, the, you know, Things will get back to where they, where they were. We have two more trips coming up in the fall, another Peru trip and hiking the Camino. Mm -hmm. So, our business has always been kind of integrating the kids into what we're doing. And once they joined the world tanning voyages, our group trips, they became translators Mm -hmm. um, in countries, they became heads of the kids club. So when we have kids on the trips, Mm -hmm. they organize kind of a kids club and activities on um, when we're traveling from location to location in the van. Uh, They do get paid for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're expected if they, commit to wanting to be part of it which they always have Mm -hmm. they are expected to help and be a tour leader like us and Uh and they get great joy out of it and they enjoy it tremendously and it brings social to their lives they get to learn about um obviously the cultures that we're passing through but also the people on the trips why are they doing this what what is their passion what are their regrets what's their profession Mm -hmm. just talking about all these different things that they get to learn about and they get other people to them yeah yeah and different ways of living. So it's it's a it's a win-win, you know, it provides an income for all of us. It provides social for all of us, which we tremendously love. It provides, you know, a glimpse into how other people are living. It's the full Monty. I mean, it's, it's really yeah. just an amazing, great experience. And it's taught them how to, you know, run businesses, how to market a business, how to be authentic. That's a big, big yeah. part of how we live, travel and share our life. And in mm-hmm. a world of social media where there is, you know, a good percentage of things that aren't or people who aren't what they say they are, you know it gives a good glimpse into you know how the how the world is and how mm-hmm. we navigate it and how they can navigate it as they branch into adulthood because in the end of the day we're not raising kids we're we're raising mm-hmm. young adults right, right. We're, they're in their kids age but the goal is to get them to be able to take flight on their own and survive yeah you know and yeah and, and so integrating them into our business the ups and the downs I mean you know Largo Largo just saw me you know I shed some tears mm-hmm. um, we're supposed to be in Peru in five weeks mm-hmm. all the work's done all the hard work's done now it's just the fun right and we had to we had to, because of the unrest in peru through, and he saw the reality of it he and we at this age he's 15 we exposed him to us sitting down discussing you know do we reschedule it what do we do do we do we try and go anyway mm-hmm. do we do this what, like, are, the risks? Listening what to- are the pros right, are the cons? Right. So, right you know we also talked about the the, the disappointment that people are going to have the people that are going to not have an income because we're not coming the disappointment of the people on our group trips that are really depending on this you know so mm-hmm. uh, involving them in the business aspect and and has been one of the best things we've done and it's been a really great experience you know at the end of the day we love what we do we are doing something that we're passionate about and we believe in and brings us great joy and um you know isn't that what we all want yeah
0: well i love the way you're taking your wealth of experience in full-time travel and world schooling and using it to bootstrap this business and to help others in the countries where you're visiting as you just mentioned and then also travelers who want to immerse themselves in new places and perspectives and cultures the way you do
1: Likewise. Jessica, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so, so much for having me. I love our conversation. I loved how we got to the deeper side of things. And I appreciate you asking, you know, the hard questions and kind of, you know, making me think about things a bit deeper. It's, I'm really grateful for it. And for all of those, those of you who are listening, um, you know, I, I hope I didn't paint any picture that made this sound too wonderful or too awful. <laughs> um, the highs are high, the lows are low. It is, the best decision I have ever made in my life, for my family, um, and and for myself, and for my relationship, and for the greater good of the world, and for you know all, all checking all the boxes. Um, I'm grateful also that I have the luxury of doing this because I do realize it's a privilege. Um, Will and I work insanely hard, and I'm not going to pretend that we don't. We don't work a 40-hour week; we work well over that. So we we work hard for what we have, but our privilege and holding the passport that we have allows us to be able to do this. And I I see this every single day where it's not the same freedom um, for other people. And I'm truly, truly, truly grateful for it. So if you're thinking about doing this, you know, listen to podcasts like this you know do some research talk to those who are doing it do not let the naysayers derail you um and and, and that means if you're not even going to travel if you're just going to world school within a, a, a select location even in your hometown you can still world school in your hometown but don't let anyone derail the path that you have and, and your kids will benefit tremendously as well as, yeah. as you will
0: i want to join you in thanking our listeners today for tuning into this Taranga tribune travel talk I hope that this episode has given you new ideas and inspiration for raising global citizens and for making the most of your family's explorations, whether it's around the globe or in your own living room. If you're interested in getting practically a firsthand view of raising traveling third culture kids, I encourage you to check out the videos that Jessica and her family create on worldtowning.com. And please subscribe to the podcast and let your friends know about the Taranga Tribune.